the question is, because we're the Jelly Marketing Podcast, what do you like to spread on your toast? I don't really eat bread. <laughs> you, I've, I've been waiting. All, you're the 20th person that we've interviewed on this podcast. And I was waiting for someone to say they don't eat bread. There you go. Here we go. It's the Jelly Marketing Podcast. Hi, and thank you for joining us for episode 20 of the Jelly Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Rod Jans. On the Jelly Marketing Podcast, we ask global industry leaders from world-class brands to share their best practices, stories, innovations, and more to help you move your agency, business, or organization ahead. Our guest, Nicole Hodges, is a guest PR coordinator at Jelly Marketing. She's also a freelance journalist working at The Valley Buzz and CTV. Our topic for today is writing better stories. Nicole also tells us an inspiring life-changing story about her and her father and how they went and helped Syrian refugees in Greece. Episode 20, here we go. Hi, Nicole. Thanks for joining me on the Jelly Marketing Podcast. Thanks for having me. Nicole is a journalist, but she's also working at Jelly Marketing right now. She's a guest PR coordinator. My first question off the top is, have you always been interested in journalism and PR and marketing? Uh, yeah, definitely. I've always been interested in journalism. I was one of those lucky few that know since their kid what they want to do with their life. Um, I didn't know I wanted to go into broadcasting per se. That kind of came later on. But I always knew that I was drawn to meeting people and storytelling and being constantly connected to what was happening around the world. So for me, um, this is kind of my first foray into PR, but it's been really exciting to see the other side of things um, because I've spent my entire career being pitched story ideas, and now I get to be on the other side and pitch story ideas to other people. So I kind of know what it takes to intrigue them to want to write a story. Yeah, you have an interesting background, and maybe you could just tell us about some of the projects that you've worked on. Before we went on air or started to record, I mentioned that I was looking at your LinkedIn profile and I can see that you were a promotions host for CTV Vancouver, that you've worked at the Valley Buzz mm -hmm. and, uh, and yeah, you started, really you interned on Entertainment Tonight Canada. So lots, lots of interesting stuff there. Yeah. Um, I think my career has been kind of a mix of, of luck and instinct. Um, I found the best things that have ever happened in my life have come from just trusting that it will work out is actually funny yesterday I was at an event and we had to go around in a circle and say what our spirit animal was and I said that mine is a rhino because when a rhino charges they can only see a few feet in front of them and yet they keep going at full speed and that's kind of how I've lived my life um, so for instance you know you brought up ET Canada well when I was in school for broadcast journalism at BCIT, I thought I wanted to work in hard news. I thought I wanted to be a reporter and then maybe become an anchor one day. And while in school, I just found that I wasn't really drawn to that kind of journalism. And so I decided to go in the complete opposite direction of what I thought I would do. And I actually went into entertainment news and it completely changed the course of my life. Because while I was there, I was able to do um, some on-camera work. And those 15 seconds of on-camera work that I put on my demo reel, long story short, essentially landed me my job at CTV. But if it wasn't for free-falling, so to speak, and following my gut instinct, I would never 
be where I am now. Well, instead of asking you to name drop, let me ask you this. What, who, who was sort of the most interesting celebrity that you met uh, while you were at Entertainment Canada? I didn't get an opportunity to meet too many people. I mean, I guess Fifi Dobson was kind of interesting. She's a singer. But it was more so the people, just the everyday people that I worked with. Um, who kind of taught me the most. And I know that's not as glamorous as maybe you want this answer to be, but it's <laughs> that's fine. It sounds like a, it was a good experience in that case. I'm much more drawn to just everyday people. Um, yeah. Overall though, I'd say my interaction with um, George Strombolopoulos was probably one of my favorites because after, well, first of all, interviewing someone who interviews people for a living is extremely intimidating. <laughs> no kidding. But- <laughs> yeah. But uh, we got along really well. And actually for about a year after that interview, he was a mentor of mine. And so when you have someone like that in your phone who you can reach out to for advice, and I did quite a few times, and then have that person be there for you, that really shows you that you're on the right path if you can kind of attract those kind of people into your life. That's cool. Uh, he's a great interviewer. He's, he's, he's one of the best. He is, yeah. So you might have mentioned this already, but did, what did you take in university and college? Did you take journalism while you were there? Yeah, so I went to BCIT for broadcast and online journalism. So what I did was about a year of uh, just kind of casual classes, a few writing classes, a few broadcast classes where you just practice public speaking. And I found that I really enjoyed it. So I signed up for the full-time program. And the year I applied was actually – they had a – record number of applicants that year. They had 1,500 people apply for the program and only 42 people were chosen. And so it was actually one of the best moments of my life when I opened my email and saw that I had been accepted into the program because for me, it felt like if I were to look back on my life, that was one of those pivotal moments where um, I was completely you know, pushed in the right direction. So, so to go way back, you mentioned that you always knew you wanted to be in journalism. Were you doing journalism type activities even when you were in high school and that sort of thing? Yeah. And to take you even further back, way before then, I mean, um, I don't think they were necessarily good, but I tried writing many, many books when I was a kid. And um, <laughs> it actually became somewhat of a, of a tradition where in elementary school, uh, once every couple of weeks, I would go to the front of the class and I would read out loud the new book I'd written. Actually, when I was 12, I was trying to fundraise to go to Quebec on a field trip. And I did that by writing a book and selling 500 copies of the book and funding my entire trip by writing so um and then just the typical things like just you know being the editor of my high school paper and winning public speaking contests french public speaking contests all throughout um middle school into high school what was the title of your book oh gosh blood of the innocent (laughs) so it was a novel it was a novel yeah, it, it was. Yeah, it, it was a like a. I guess it was a vampire novel before vampires were cool. Beat <laughs> me to it. Oh no, that's Fifty Shades of Grey. Wow. <laughs> Stephanie Meyer beat me to it. <laughs> I got to ask you too. I know I'm jumping all over the place, but that I let's do that. Yeah, what was yeah. what was one of the biggest lessons that you learned from George? Ooh, um, I think one of the greatest lessons I learned from him is that when we're in conversation with someone, we spend so much time 
uh, thinking about what we're going to say. And in interviews, in a sense, that is important because you do always want to make sure to push it forward, especially if you're on live television, that you do have something to say next. But he kind of just reiterated the art of listening and how important it is to listen. And so I think it took away any fear I had that I had to follow the blueprint of a typical interview style where, you know, for you, for instance, you're jumping around all over the place, but it makes total sense because we're having a conversation. And so instead of you just consulting your notes every time, instead of going with what you're the most interested in knowing about, I kind of learned that as well through him where it's okay to just almost put your paper aside and just ditch your plan just for the sake of having a good conversation with someone. I know I like to have notes just I just just for the confidence factor, you know, but then there's mm-hmm. things that I really do try to pay attention to my intuition, you know, and and if there's something I think that I'm interested in, uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and ask it. Just like asking you about, you know, what you learned from George, I just thought I was just curious about that. I wonder what okay. uh, what was something that you learned from him. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, now you're at, at Jelly Marketing. What's what's been that what's that experience been like for you so far? Oh, it's been a lot of fun. Like I said, just being on the other side of this industry has taught me so much. I feel like I'm constantly learning, if not downloading a new app every single time I go into the office. But (laughs) first of all, just the culture in the office is something I'm really drawn to. And just, um, just their approach. I really, I really respect the approach that they take to different clients, um, Kind of like how I mentioned the art of conversation, how when something just feels natural, it almost feels right. And that's kind of how I feel when I go into the office, that the way that they speak to one another and speak to their clients and speak about their clients says a lot about them. And I'm just I'm learning so much just being saturated in that kind of positive environment. I want to get to some tips. Uh, you have a, a, a background in journalism and you say that you, you know, you, you you've been pitched a lot of stories. I'm wondering if you can give us some tips on what makes for a good a good story and maybe even a good pitch. What are what are the things that appeal to you? Sure. Well, first of all, I can tell you what doesn't make a good story and that'll offer some perspective, but the thing that I always say to people is simply existing is not a story. And I think it's really good to have that initial conversation with a business or a brand or whomever you're speaking with that they just their existence doesn't qualify for a well thought out story. And so I'm always encouraging people to do something different or come to the table with an interesting hook or an interesting angle. So, um, you know, there's been times where I've been pitched stories. And, you know, my first question is, why should I care? And that's not a harsh question. It's just that, in order to instigate any journalist to want to write a story, they have to take the time out of their day to do that. And so for me, I think one of the most important things, if I'm being pitched or I'm trying to pitch a business to a journalist, is always make it really interesting and different. And I find that two things work really well, either something that's inspiring or something that's funny. So if you can either make people feel something or make people laugh, I find that they're more prone to actually fill in the blanks for themselves or work with you. So 
uh, for instance, if I'm trying to put together a press release, I'm trying to either make it inspiring or make it funny and make it different. So that comes down to a lot of language. And I mean, we know that journalists, they do a lot of stories and sometimes they do just pull directly from a press release. So if you can give them something in that press release that would actually make them sound like a better journalist, they're going to be more inspired to write about it. Yeah, because it's, it's hard to get your articles published and get them out there. You really do have to have something that, uh, first of all, the 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 journalist or the editor is going to notice. And then um, mm-hmm. in order for the public to be interested, it's got to have that, that hook, doesn't it? Or be inspiring or be humorous, like you say. Oh. Definitely. And like, you don't have to be misleading in any way, but it's kind of fun taking an unlike idea and making it into something relatable. So, you know, and this is speaking about a client, so I'm not sure if you can necessarily use this, but I'll say it anyway. You know, we had a client that was a indoor trampoline park and I was trying to think like, okay, how can I make this really interesting? And so the angle I decided to take for the initial press release was time machine discovered in Surrey. So that was the headline of the press release. And then below that, the deck was kind of like, you know, by attending an indoor trampoline park, you'll find that you're transported right back to childhood. But the first thing that landed in these people's inbox was a time machine has been discovered in Surrey. Right. That gets them to open the email, which is the first thing. Yeah, we could say we, you know, we, we could back up, and and that is the first thing, isn't it? Is coming up with a with a catchy title, something that's going to get people's attention as well. Oh, definitely. Everything is everything is a journey. I mean, you can't just expect someone to uh, write the story. You have to go back to the basics. You have to get them to open that email first. Then you have to get them to hopefully read the entire press release. Then get to the point where they hit reply. And then get to the point where they actually want to write about it. This is kind of putting you on the spot, but are there some typical questions that you ask of your clients? Uh, When they kind of come to us and I have to write a press release for them? Yeah. I find that they're generally quite prepared. I think for me, um, and this is even as a journalist, but the more research that I can do, the more information that can be provided for me, the better. Because as a journalist, you almost have to become a momentary expert in whatever it is you're talking about. And if you're not, it comes across as clunky, forced or false. And so for me, the more information that I can be provided to the point where talking about their business almost becomes like a second language that I've picked up. um, That's really important to me. So almost being bombarded with information. Um, So I can spend an hour and a half of my day just reading, reading, reading every single thing that they've ever read or any interview that they've ever done. So when I sit down to write a press release, I'm speaking as an expert. Yeah, I like that. So you got to do your homework ahead of time. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. How did that? I bet that. that, Sorry, go ahead. Sorry, sorry. I was just saying, otherwise you get into that, you you risk just copying and pasting, Mm -hmm. right? Because if you can't think of something to say on your own, you're naturally going to gravitate towards just pulling information that they've given you. And that's not a good place to be because then that's not producing original content. How did your Time Machine article perform? Was it an email or was was it a press release? 
Uh, it was a press release that I sent out through email. Um, it ended up getting tweaked a bit. So it didn't, uh, the original headline I put out there wasn't the one that ended up going out, but it got a lot of laughs along the way. And it was, it was quite well loved before, um, the entire thing broke down and we changed it. We'll go into the second part of the interview here. We, uh, there's some questions that we ask all of our guests. Okay. Just so you know, your first answer or your answer to this first question doesn't have to be jelly. But uh, the question is, because we're the Jelly Marketing Podcast, what do you like to spread on your toast? I don't really eat bread. <laughs> you, I've, I've been waiting. all. You're the 20th person that we've interviewed on this podcast. And I was waiting for someone to say they don't eat bread. There you go. <laughs> we finally found the person. Because I don't eat a lot of bread either. So <laughs> Yeah, there we go. <laughs> yeah. Do you have a favorite spread anyways? If you were to spread something on something, what, what what would be your favorite spread? Avocado on toast. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what do you do to handle stress? Oh, my goodness. I write lots of lists and they usually uh, are most successful when I write them hour by hour. So I find sometimes if I'm really overwhelmed – I will sit down and I'll write an entire list starting from the beginning of my day to the end and every single thing will, yeah, have have an hour beside it and I'll break my whole day down just like that. Or I take a nap. Do you have a favorite app or online tool? Well, I'd be absolutely hopeless without Google Maps, but I know that's not a very riveting answer. So let's see here. I'm looking at my phone right now. DoorDash. DoorDash. Oh, tell me more about that. I haven't heard of that. Okay. Actually, this is great because if I refer a friend, I get $7 off. It- <laughs> <laughs> you, could make, you could make a lot of money if this podcast becomes popular. So yeah, go Okay. Everybody it. listen up. <laughs> DoorDash. It's a, it's a food delivery app. So uh, they actually were on Dragon's Den and they launched in Vancouver uh, a little less than a year ago. And it's just a great app where you basically have all these options for whatever kind of food you're interested in. So Italian or Chinese or American or whatever it is right listed at the top. And it's just a beautiful layout. And the great thing about the delivery app is that you can actually track your order. So you'll get a text when your food is ready. You'll get a text when your driver's picked it up, when your driver's approaching. So, um, like other ordering apps, I guess you don't really know when they're going to arrive and they don't give you text notifications, but this one's great because you can actually plan it down to like the minute you want them to have your food ready. Nice. I'll be mm-hmm. sure to check that out. That's cool. Yeah. Are, you, a, are you an iPhone person or a, uh, an Android person? An iPhone person who refuses to update to iOS 10. <laughs> why, why is that? <laughs> I don't know. I've heard horror stories. So, oh, okay. I'm dodging notifications a couple times a day to update. I'm using it. It's been okay so far. <laughs> okay. All right. You're the first. Yeah. <laughs> I just love updates. I love the new. I love to see what's new. So <laughs> Maybe you've already given it, but do you have a favorite life or business hack to share? Some shortcut loophole that makes your life easier? Have a partner that understands when you can't spend time with them because you're too busy following your dreams. <laughs> wow. Okay. Good one. <laughs> That's a heavy one. <laughs> and I want to go back too and just say, I like Google, Google maps as well. <laughs> I was okay. just, I was just out of town and it's so reassuring to have 
Google Maps. You know, in the old days, you would just feel totally lost. I was in Edmonton, and it's so flat there that I I, lo- I, I lose all sense of direction. I don't have the I don't have the mountains to tell me you know to tell me where I'm at. Exactly. And having Google Maps was yeah, it was a, a saving saving app on my phone. It was awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, Edmonton's the only place where I got two speeding tickets back to back. I was on a road trip, and it's so flat, you almost feel like you can't tell how fast you're going. Yeah. <laughs> and people drive fast there, too. That's too bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so there's lots of worthy causes out there. But just for the purposes of this interview, do you have a cause that you can talk about that's near and dear to you? Sure. Actually, that's a pretty easy one for me. Um, I'm pretty invested emotionally in the Syrian refugee crisis. So I actually uh, went to Greece in uh, summer and volunteered on the island of Lesvos um, on a refugee camp. Wow, good for you. Thank you. Yeah. Tell us a little bit more about that. What what was that trip like for you? It was life-changing for me for sure, but I kind of knew in a way what to expect just because I was keeping up to date on the news. But... I think even more so, my dad joined me for the second half of the trip, and uh, he, I don't know if this will stereotype him, but he's a trucker from Alberta. So his views on the refugee crisis were quite harsh in terms of there being a them and an us. Mm. And he came because he felt like he needed to protect me from something. And uh, I've never seen someone change so drastically over the course of 10 days than I did with my dad. Um, You know, he's a big, bulky, heavily tattooed, motorcycle-driving kind of guy. And we started an art camp for the kids because uh, one of the refugee camps was actually on an old prison. So it was all, you know, barbed wire fences and steel gates and concrete. And, you know, these these kids are being pulled from their homes and their schools and, and, and their country and, um, you know, thrown into turmoil. They're arriving, some of them right off the boats uh, with wet clothes, and they're coming to a place that doesn't really feel welcoming. And so my dad and I decided, decided to start an art program there with the um, fundraiser money that we had um, managed to accumulate before we came over. And we were able to decorate the entire prison. And so when these kids got there, they saw paintings on the walls and, um, you know, different things, colorful banners hanging from the barbed wire. And it made such a huge difference. We ended up buying sports toys and jump ropes and, you know, basketballs and soccer balls. And, you know, at one point there was one night where the sun was going down and we were, um, we were mopping up all the paint that was left over on the uh, on the ground, and as soon as it got dark enough, my dad and I just burst into tears, mm. wow. and we just made ourselves cry. And uh, I think the most defining moment was on the plane ride back. We were standing in line, and there were some men in line ahead of us that were just you know heavily dressed in in you know full gear, and they had their turbans on and everything, and. Naturally, I just braced myself for my dad to make some sort of racist remark. And uh, he turned to me and he just said, like, wow, those guys are really tall and what a beautiful day it is. (laughs) And I just said, holy, my dad is a changed man. So, yeah, I think for me, it was life changing to see the tragedy uh, firsthand 
but also to see that with something like art, there are no language barriers. Um, there are no differences really between us and them. There is no us and them. It's just all of us in this together, but also to see my dad realize that for the first time in his life. Hmm. That's a beautiful story. Thank you for sharing that with us. Yeah. Was there, I know from past experiences, was there, a, you know, was for him, was there two or three kids or something that really grabbed his heart that, is that what happened for him? Or do you think it was just the whole experience in general for him? Um, I think it was the experience as a whole, but I think it was really interesting because when we think, you know, when we think of Syrian kids, for the most part, we have this kind of caricature of someone with dark eyes and dark skin and dark hair. And I think it was really uh, eye opening for him that a lot of Syrians actually have blonde hair and blue eyes. And so it almost made it, you know, an easier transition for him to maybe relate to these kids because they look more similar to kids that he would see in Canada. And so, you know, it was kind of that mix of appearances, you know, that, yeah, that's a surface level thing, but that had a huge effect on him to go like, wait a second, you don't look like I assumed you would look like. Um, and there was a lot of kids like that. And, you know, they would hang off his arms and, you know, my dad, my dad tries to be a tough guy, but he has the biggest heart in the whole world. And so they broke him down pretty quickly. And, you know, before I knew it, he was off doing Elvis Presley impersonations for them and having them just roll on the ground laughing and uh, <laughs> <laughs> to the point where I just couldn't stop him. So it got out of hand. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Great. Well, thanks again for sharing that story with us. I really appreciate it. Last but not least, what's the best way for people to reach out with you and get, or reach out to you and, and get in touch with you? I am pretty active on social media. So I would say my Instagram is probably the best place to get in touch with me. It has not only my email address and a link to my website, but I also respond pretty quickly to direct messages through Instagram. So my Instagram handle is Nicole double L. So it's N-I-C-O-L-L-E. And then the word double and an L, hence two L's in Nicole. So Nicole double L is the place to go. Okay, great. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to join us tonight. I know it was, uh, our listeners don't know this, but it was kind of short notice. And uh, yeah, I I appreciate you joining us and and for the things that you shared. Oh, thank you so much for asking those uh, interesting questions, Rod. Well, thanks again to Nicole from Jelly Marketing for joining us on the 20th episode of the Jelly Marketing Podcast. If you'd like to check out some of the links and show notes from this episode, go to the Jelly Marketing Podcast page at jellymarketing.com and you'll find them under the blog tab of the website. Also be sure and check us out on iTunes and leave a comment and a rating. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening and we'll talk to you soon. You can fly mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Horton's new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply.